Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to our text this morning. It's found in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, Acts 2 and verses 22 to 36, Acts 2, 22 to 36, and let's hear the word of the Lord. This is Peter preaching at Pentecost. Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man, attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of lawless men, and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord continually before me, because he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, Because you will not forsake my soul to Hades, nor give your Holy One over to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Men, brothers, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him an oath to set one of, his, of the fruit of his body on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither forsaken to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. Therefore let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, This Jesus, whom you crucified. May God bless his word. Please be seated. About 2,000 years ago, those very words were preached in Jerusalem. And we have those words before us. This is the first sermon that the public sermon ever preached after the resurrection. We have it. Jesus has just been raised about five weeks, roughly, before this. And he's been taken up into glory just a short time before Peter preached. 
Jesus, in his time after his resurrection, went to his disciples. Think about that. He didn't go to the temple to present himself raised up, ever. He, he didn't go to the Jews, <clears throat> excuse me, who had put him to death. He didn't go to prove his resurrection to them. We, we know that the Jews lied about the resurrection. We know they said that the disciples stole the body. But Jesus didn't walk into the next meeting of the Sanhedrin and say, nice try. He didn't walk up to Herod's palace. He, he didn't go to the residence of the Roman governor. Rather, we know he spent 40 days after his resurrection appearing to his disciples and to, we're told, over 500 other believers. Among them, certainly, although we, we don't read of it directly, but certainly was probably his own mother. We know he appeared to the women at the tomb. He appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus. He then appeared to the twelve at various times. And we have that famous moment when he finally appears to Thomas, who, who just couldn't believe it and was allowed He allowed Thomas to touch his wounds. But in it all, there was not one appearance of Jesus to the powers that be, either amongst the Romans or the Jews. This was because Christ was chiefly concerned to strengthen the hearts of the saints by showing himself alive to them. He came to his people for whom he had just died for. He had accomplished their redemption, and now they were his. They were the ones he wanted to be with. It's, it's sort of like, you know, like an adoption being finalized, as the, the Bajans just did a few weeks ago. Right? All the paperwork's done. The judge is signed off. It's finished. And now all you want is for them to be yours. So too, with Jesus, he had just purchased these with his own blood. And now he comes as this great testimony of his love for them and shows himself to them. And this great task then of announcing Christ to the nations and to the Jews and to the Gentiles, the Romans, is is now given to the disciples. We're told in the beginning of the book of Acts that they were to wait until the power of the Holy Spirit had come upon them so that they then could accomplish this task of announcing the risen Christ. You see, what they were called to do was going to be a supernatural calling. It wasn't just going out and saying, putting an article in the newspaper or writing a book. No, the preaching of the risen Christ to the nations 
was going to require the power of the Holy Spirit coursing through the lives of the disciples. This is for at least two reasons, because first, the, the, the preaching of Christ, the courage that, that it takes, is supernatural. Think about these disciples. They were now back in Jerusalem, where just a few weeks earlier, their Lord had been executed. Now they're back there with power, confidence, boldness, preaching Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit is also needed to proclaim Christ in order to give success to the preaching of the gospel. There's that old hymn that says, All is vain unless the Spirit of the risen Lord comes down. They had to wait for the Spirit to come. The payment for sin was to be offered by Christ. But the proclamation of Christ is now going to be the work of the Spirit through the church. The church was was and, and is still in our day to rely upon the person of the Spirit to give her power to proclaim Christ, risen. And so we see this comes, this preaching of Peter here in Acts 2, comes after the Spirit has been poured out. The Spirit has been poured out in such stunning manner too that it is unmistakable. Men and women in Jerusalem are beginning to speak of the risen Christ in languages from all over the known world. There is power here to make Jesus known in ways that it is clear that this is from God. Because they are speaking in languages of the nations surrounding Israel. Languages they didn't know, but God by his spirit came and through a supernatural working, gave them this moment to speak Christ to the nations. They spoke that Christ had been raised. They spoke of the gospel, of the death and the resurrection of Christ. This is a sign here in this moment that that this gospel is making a, a beeline to the nations. This promise of God that God had given to Abraham so long ago, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. That promise that through Abraham all the nations would be blessed is in a sense being supercharged now by the person of the Spirit. Jesus is being proclaimed to peoples from every tribe and tongue and nation. And it is out of that power we find Peter preaching here in Acts 2, what we just read. Think about this, Peter specifically. 
Peter was one who was absolutely without power five weeks ago. Five weeks prior to Pentecost was when Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Peter was completely broken in himself by his denials of Christ. Before the resurrection, Peter was a very pitiful man. But here now, Peter is in Jerusalem, preaching Christ with boldness and power. And we know that it will be in a manner that will bring in 3,000 people to faith. This is a work of the Holy Spirit now gathering in those for whom Jesus bled and died for. What a glorious moment. I want us to look at how Peter preaches. This is spirit-empowered preaching. He, He preaches Jesus as historical fact. Christ is real. Peter announces that Jesus, the real live man, was proven to be the Son of God. He announces him as the man from Nazareth that everyone knew. And they all knew what he did. They knew that he had performed miracles and wonders and signs. In your midst, Peter says, just as you yourselves know. Christ, Christ was no myth. Christ was no mysterious figure in history. He's no mist or vapor. He's not not just a, a philosophical idea. True preaching is that which proclaims Jesus as flesh and bone, a flesh and bone man sent from God, God's own Son, truly God and truly man, who died on a cross and who was raised to new life. No apologies, no qualifications to that. Peter preaches Jesus as real. As real as your own hand in front of your face. Real. Peter also preaches the cross. Verse 23, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of lawless men and put him to death. Interesting how Peter preaches here the cross. He preaches it as the will of God accomplished through the evil hearts of men. The will of God accomplished through the evil hearts of men. Peter doesn't preach the cross in some some abstract way. He doesn't just give us a, a theory of the atonement of some kind. Jesus and his cross work is just not some feel-good story for Peter to tell here of 
of somebody who does something nice for others. It's, just, it's not even just a heroic story of someone who saves other people. No, Peter preaches Christ here as a story of the sons of Adam killing the very Son of God. And God working through that to redeem the sons of Adam. You see, God used their evil to save them from their own wickedness. We need to grasp that truth that Peter Peter puts out there front and center in his preaching. You killed the Son of God. But God used your own evil to save you. All of this, Peter is saying, happened by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. You might wonder, why did Peter preach this way? Why did he feel the need to to put it so bluntly and plainly? At least, I think, because the Jews needed to understand that God had come to save and nothing could stop him. Nothing. The promise that he had given to Abraham And then the one that Peter speaks of here to David. Those promises were coming true no matter what. And in fact, it was all predetermined and known by God. God is that powerful, beloved. He keeps his promises even when there is massive opposition by men and devils, even when men kill his own son. In fact, God just doesn't slog it out against evil. He causes evil to work for his own good will. God here wins by defeating the evil of men in their crucifying Christ and and forcing their evil, in a sense, to serve him. So Peter is, in a sense, saying to them, don't think you are the masters of your own fate. For even in your rebellion, God has been sovereign. Resistance to him is futile. God is going to save his people from their sins, even by causing their own sin to work for his glory, the sin of killing Christ. How humbling. How humbling is that for the sinner's heart? To think you took your biggest swing at God. You threw a haymaker and at his son and now you find God has planned it all. He's planned for that to be the instrument of his saving work of you. In a way it doesn't seem fair. 
But it was, it was never a fair fight from the start. But sin had caused you and I to believe that we, we, we could be like God. We, we, we could overcome him. We could kill him. Peter is preaching this here to show the people that it's no use to refuse him. God has outplayed you in your killing of Jesus. You have no moves left. This is why we'll see them cry out in just a few moments later on in Acts 2. They will say, men, brothers, what shall we do? We don't have anywhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. God has in this moment exposed us and he has ruled over us in our sin against him. Peter preaches the cross. Peter also, in the power of the Spirit, preaches the resurrection. He declares that God has raised him up and now he he cannot die a second time. He lets them know that you have played a part in your killing of Jesus in making him indestructible. For it is impossible now for him to be held in death's power. Peter even shows them that David had long ago, about a thousand years before, told them of the resurrection of Jesus. Peter is telling them, in a sense, you, you should have listened to David. You, you know David. He told you this. All the way back in Psalm 16, he quotes there for us out of verse 25 to 28. Peter makes it plain David knew this. David wasn't talking about himself. David was talking about the Christ. And Peter says, we know this. We know David wasn't just giving us a psalm about himself back in Psalm 16. Because he says, obviously, David died. David's dead. David's buried. We, we know he's buried over there. David was looking ahead to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter here preaches Christ as the one David spoke of numerous times in the Bible. I saw a graph the other day that somebody had put together. It was just fascinating. And it, was a, it showed sort of all the, the, the chapters of the Bible, and then it, it showed how Many times, the Bible refers back to itself in all of that. There were over 63,000 times the Bible refers to itself. Isn't that amazing? 
Scripture interprets Scripture for us. We don't look to anthropology or sociology or philosophy to interpret the Bible. God interprets or explains his own word to us. That's what happens when we find the Bible referring back to itself, with Peter referring back to David. This is God explaining himself. Peter interprets the resurrection of Christ through the prophet David, through the word of the Lord spoken through David. And here he preaches the resurrection as a simple fact, reality. Again, no theory presented. I read again someone this week still spewing out the old lies that, oh, it doesn't matter if there was a bodily resurrection. It's really a spiritual thing. I think the disciples would have looked at that and said, are you mad? Of course it's real. It's not some vague spiritual thing. No, Peter makes it plain that the resurrection is literal. Christ has been raised with a new physical body, never to die again. And he says, we are witnesses of these things. We are witnesses of these things. It's not just Peter who is saying, oh, well, I saw this, trust me. No, this is not the testimony of just one man. It's not like Joseph Smith of the Mormons or Muhammad of Islam. Both, both of those systems, those religious systems, rely entirely upon the word of one man who says, trust me, I heard something, I saw something. No one else saw what Joseph Smith saw. No one. No one else saw what Muhammad heard. No one. But not so with Christ. Peter says, we here, we are witnesses of these things. Because there were 12 men with him who saw and heard Jesus raised. And as we heard, there were 500 more who saw and heard him. Many, many of whom who were, were very likely there on that day of Pentecost in the crowd. What a forceful moment that must have been. Men and women who were emboldened there by by the seeing and the hearing and the touching and the, the eating with even the risen Christ. Now they're having the very power of the Spirit of God upon them in this moment. They are all there as witnesses. Witnesses who have the power of the Spirit giving them in this moment 
the words and the courage to proclaim Christ. The earthly powers had just executed Jesus a few weeks before. And now his followers were back with unstoppable power because of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is about to sweep in, as we saw, and gather up 3,000 saints. Christ had just been killed. His followers, if he was dead, should have been destroyed. But now Christ is truly raised, and here they are, back in that place where he was executed, declaring him. Not just raised, but king. Sort of like getting fired from your job one day, only to come back the next day as the CEO. This is the kind of turnaround that has just happened in Jerusalem. The disciples are back in full force for one reason. Christ has been raised. And his spirit is now on the march. Gaining ground as we sang in that first song. Establishing the kingdom of this son of David through them. What a terrible day for hell. And the world forces of evil in the heavenlies. What what should have been by all rights a requiem, a funeral song for the church, it is now this trumpet blast to the world for the kingdom of Christ. The gospel of the death and the resurrection of Jesus is now going to the nations, to the ends of the earth, so that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How is that for victory? But there is more here, for Peter declares that, that Jesus has now been exalted to the right hand of God in verse 34. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. Peter here quotes Psalm 110. This is, by the way, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Here we have God the Father, the Lord, says to my Lord. So David is looking up and he sees God the Father speaking to his Lord, Christ it says, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. This is a, a text that Jesus used to really stump the Jews at one point. When he asked them regarding this psalm that they knew so well, Psalm 110, and, and they asked of it, well, he, he asked, how is it that that David speaks of 
his son as his Lord. How is it that David's son is David's Lord? The Lord said to my Lord. This is a fascinating prophetic passage in the Bible. Jesus is David's Lord and David's son. Peter is using this text here to prove the exaltation of Christ. This Jesus, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This one whom you crucified. The world must hear that Jesus has been raised and is now at the right hand of God. He hasn't merely been raised up like Lazarus or some other saint in the Bible who was raised from the dead. He has been raised never to die again. He has been raised to rule the heavens and the earth. So Peter is announcing here, that all men everywhere ought to know for certain. Know for certain, O rulers of this present age, Christ has been raised and he is now seated at the right hand of God with all authority in heaven and on earth. And as the psalmist says in Psalm 2, kiss the sun. O rulers of the earth, kiss the sun. Fear him, for he is coming to judge the living and the dead, and he will subdue all, all who resist him. And he will eternally bless and save all who come to him in faith. This is the glory of our risen Lord. He's not just a mere man back from the dead. He is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth who rules. All things for us who believe. He reigns for his people. He is judging the nations for the sake of the good of the church. And he is establishing the glory of the triune name of God over rulers and powers in the heavenlies and on earth. That is the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He reigns now for us who believe. Nothing, beloved, can overcome your Christ. Nothing can defeat him or stop him. He is relentless. From the throne for you, believer, and for his church. Don't despair ever of your situation. Don't ever think he has forgotten you. Don't ever worry that the world might harm you. 
Don't ever be concerned about the the murmurings or the opinions of men. Christ has conquered for you. Sin and death. And he is working all things for your good. He has destroyed death for you. He has silenced your accuser for you. And now he is is moving everything for your good and for his glory. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he is for you. Because he is for you. The real Jesus, the crucified Jesus, the risen Jesus, the exalted Jesus is for you who believe. Let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you that we have a Redeemer who is both Lord and Christ. We thank you that in Christ we have all things. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We have the hope of the resurrection from the dead. We have life eternal in a new heaven and a new earth. When this same Jesus who went up into the heavens comes back again in that way for us. Grant to us, Lord, boldness, the boldness of the believers here in Acts 2. Grant us, Lord, courage by your spirit and grant blessing to the message, Lord, we would proclaim to the nations to those you put around us, Lord. And may you, Lord, continue to gather in, Lord, those that you bled and died for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to uh, stand as Aaron leads us in singing Crown Him with Many Crowns, number 304. And and just like to invite you to uh, all to come down afterwards for our brunch. Uh, that we'll be having downstairs immediately following the service. 304 in your hymnals.